This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tonight on Huckabee, former North Dakota governor Ann Schaefer, founder of FightWithCash.com, Cash Patel, the hilarious musings of Rick Roberts, multi-platinum selling singer-songwriter Mark Wills. Everybody, we're thrilled. We got a great audience and a terrific show for you tonight. But not all is well because this week a Target store in San Francisco put all, not some, all of its merchandise under lock and key. Yeah, look at this. It is one thing, you know, for shavers, watches, and some appliances or perfume to be behind a locked cabinet at some big box store, but everything? As I looked at the pictures of this and imagined, just how expensive it would be to lock every single item up and then have to pay people to unlock those cabinets when a person wanted to purchase an item. I wondered, instead of locking up the merchandise, why don't we lock up the people who are stealing it? Huh? Is that really that hard? I got to tell you, something is messed up in our culture when we can't leave merchandise on the shelves because people will walk up and pull an unpaid grab-and-go. And don't say, well, that doesn't have any impact on me, because it sure does. It costs money to build locked cabinets for all of the items. It costs a lot of extra money to hire more people to put the merchandise behind a lock and then to fetch it, an item when a customer wants it. And you know who pays for those extra costs? Here's a clue. It's not the business. Nope, they just raise their prices to reflect the additional cost that's caused by the crimes and the criminals. That's what happens. Well, in other news, Joe Biden formally announced that he is running again for president. It wasn't a surprise to anyone except to Joe Biden, who woke up last Tuesday morning to find out that he's in a video saying that he's running again. Our good friend Ron Hart, the syndicated columnist who is a regular on our show, said it this way, and I quote, Biden leaned into the microphone this week and declared he's running for president. Unfortunately, it was the microphone at the McDonald's drive-thru <laughs> as he was ordering a McRib. <laughs> you gotta love Ron Hart, right? Anyway, President Biden says he wants to finish the job he started. Hey, some of us think it would be better to let someone else start the job. Joe pretty much has finished, like he's almost finished off the country with open borders, going from energy independence to again having to beg energy from uh, countries who hate us. 
Yeah, you know, over 70% of the American people polled say they don't even want Biden or even run, but he's going to do it anyway. My gosh, I might be able to find 30% of the people who want me to run again, but I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. But I guess Biden's been on the side of issues that are against the will and desires of most of the people anyway, so he probably thinks he's providing great leadership. Hey, to quote the great preacher, S.M. Lockridge, one of my favorites, he used to say, some people think they're leaders, but ain't nobody following them. If you think you're a leader, but nobody is following you, you ain't a leader. You're just out for a walk. Well, if you're worried that President Biden isn't up to the job and have concerns that he would be 86 years old if he were to finish a second term, relax. Because in the bullpen, we have the very deep and thoughtful and articulate Vice President Kamala Harris, (laughs) who gave this riveting speech that is sure to comfort and motivate all of us. So, I think it's very important as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present, and to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. I know you feel better knowing that she's just an octogenarian heartbeat away from sitting behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office, where she will be able to reassure us that we are living in the present, but that we will be the future. And our children will also be the future that will help us to prepare for our future, even if our past and the present were difficult. And that's why we will overcome, because we will have contemplated the future and believe that climate change will make our thermostats turn on cooler air in the future. (laughs) Or maybe the thought of all that just leaves you in a cold sweat at night. I know it does me. (laughs) All right, we've got to... Great show tonight, and we're so thankful that you could be with us. Keith Bilbrey, would you tell these good folks just what we have coming up? Well, coming up, former governor and secretary of agriculture, Ed Schaefer, joins us in the studio. And still to come, chart-topping country music artist Mark Wills performs on Huckabee. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Ed Schaefer served as North Dakota governor from 1992 to 2000. Then he was secretary of agriculture in the George W. Bush administration. During his tenure as governor, He brought North Dakota unemployment down to record levels, increased funding for schools and infrastructure, also fostered a turnaround of North Dakota's economy, all the time reducing the cost of state government. 
What a novelty. He's also a wonderful guy. I'm happy to call him my friend. Please make welcome Governor Ed Schaefer. Good to have you here, Ed. Thank you. One of the things that you were able to accomplish, state of North Dakota was once a very Democrat state. And it became a, and is now, a very Republican state. It really moved across the spectrum. You were a big part of that and an architect of helping lead it. What was, what was the key to that? Well, Mike, I, you know, at that time, I, I'll try to give you a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> you could be vice president. <laughs> um, at, that, at, at that point in time, the, the Democratic Party had uh, controlled the state house for 40 years. And Republicans could meet in the proverbial phone booth. I mean, yeah. we didn't have much going on. But, you know, what came apparent is that as our, as our state government became unaffordable, yeah. when programs weren't being delivered, people didn't have jobs, people even the state, it's kind of like, maybe we should give government the people they ask for. Hmm. You know? And what, so, what a great idea. Yeah, huh? I thought it was kind of novel. And, and uh, so we did. So we went out and figured out people were looking for economic recovery. People were looking for jobs. People were looking for better, easier ways, a less costly government, more efficient government. And we said, let's do that. Let's go out and get it done. And when he, get, when he got it done, when it happened, people started trusting Republican um, leadership. There is a sense which a lot of people don't understand. Washington is so broken that very little happens. Even the stuff that has to happen doesn't. But at the state level, real reform takes place, whether it's education, health care, transportation, infrastructure, building. People don't understand that. So what would be the most important way that as maybe as a political force, we could say, you want to see answers, you want to see things change, it's going to happen at your state and local level. I'll tell you what made a huge difference for us is we started a program called Capital for the Day. And once a month, we took all our staff out, all the cabinet, everybody out into a community, spent the day in a community, had some fun, did, you know, some three-legged races or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, the, the um, correctional folks went to the prison and, you know, we kind of just interact in the community and then we'd have a big open forum all afternoon. And it was pretty interesting what you hear from people what they're looking for, what they don't like, what they like. And, and you can help shape that public policy directly as a result of your interaction with people. And that really made a difference. But what worries you the most about the political atmosphere? Because it is so divided and it's, it's very, very uh, acrimonious right now. I, I, I take it back to the lack of leadership. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing leaders um, that are succumbing to Facebook hits or getting reelected or what's going on. And you always have a microcosm of people, people's desires, what they're looking for. Somebody has to sort that out for what's best for the common good. Hmm. Um, there's always a special interest. There's always a personal desire to have something done. How do you get to the people? How do you, how do you incorporate them into the policy making branch of government. And, and you know, as, as you and I have both been there, I mean, good public debate is important. Sure. Both sides have something to put into the equation. You have to listen to each other, talk to each other, and you craft good public policy by having both sides at the table talking about it. Today, my biggest fear is we don't do that. We yeah. stiff arm each other. We, we cancel each other. We get on the internet afterward and pound on somebody afterward. And that's not building a working relationship. And 
you get away from crafting public policy by representing the people to crafting public policy by a whole bunch of little different special interests and personal interest groups, and that just doesn't work. You know, I've often said that sometimes even a great idea that we might have would be bettered if we listened to the other side to get a perspective that we might not have thought about. That's, that's not compromise on principles. It's simply a matter of good governing and bringing people to the table so that they can be part of the decision. And I, I had a conversation recently with a person about how, what would you do to go in and change somebody's mind in the political atmosphere? Yeah. And I said, I never would go in to try to change somebody's mind. I'd go in to try to find common ground. Yeah. You know, try to find what we believe, what we're trying to accomplish, what can we do, how can we work together to get there? Which is, you know, kind of easy going, but it, it makes such a difference when you're seeking, trying to craft policy based on you know, what the common goals are. And you were the Secretary of Agriculture. How do we help Americans to understand the value, the importance, the significance of the agricultural community in America and, and how they have provided for us the safest, the most abundant food supply in the history of mankind? Orange County, California has a, has a county fair. And at the county fair, they have these small little supermarket you know, strollers and kids go in there and they give them some coins for some money and they go around and they shop. And when you stop at the, at the cereal, for instance, uh -huh. there's a little video there showing where it's come from, how it's harvested, how it's processed, how it gets in the box, how it gets to the store. And, you know, it's that kind of thing that we, we're just not educating our kids as we have moved from a rural society into a more urbanized society People in town just go to the store and get their groceries. They have no idea what it takes, how, what to accomplish, um, what a lifestyle it is and a cultural issue, and really what an environmental issue, issue it is to grow our food and feed and fiber and now fuel. The message that I go to here is one of values and one of character. Mm. And while we're out there growing those crops and making sure the rows are straight and things that go on, I mean, the, the thing that you realize is... You know, you're, you're in a situation where the sense of community and character is generated by those with uncertain provision. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going to be there. You can get hailed out tomorrow by no fault of your own, and everything is gone. And what you find is the character that builds in a rural community by the, by the kids growing up, working, having chores on the farm or ranch, um, working together in the church ladies, you know, building casseroles yeah. for, the, for the annual dinner, you know. Um, but really what comes from that is lending a hand to your neighbor when they have a problem, never letting that become a way of life, but accepting that, you know, that, that uh, hand out or hand up. Um, but, the, but the honesty, the character, that, that interaction with people that understand I'm in this thing together, and I am very much developing that community character, the team of agriculture, if you will. Mm. You know, that comes from working the land. It comes yeah. from planting the seeds and working the soil. And um, that's where it comes from. And we're losing that today because we're moving into the urbanized society and we're missing that hard work ethic, that character generation that comes from that rural atmosphere. We're so very happy to have Ed Schaefer with us and uh, thanks for being here. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us what we still have yet to come. 
Well, coming up next, our favorite stand-up comedian, Rick Roberts. And later, Mike plays in the dirt with gardening expert Jamie Yost, all on Huckabee. Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. And welcome back, everybody. What do you think about this incredible band, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection? You could travel all over the world. You're not going to find better musicians than we've got right here on this show. Speaking of great people on this show, we've got a wonderful comedian who works with us. His name is Rick Roberts. He's not only one of our favorite comedians, he's practically part of our family here. He is a regular on Sirius XM and his dry bar comedy special called Put Down the Sweet Tea. And his spot on Barney Fife impression is also in the movie Mayberry Man, which was just wonderful. That's going to be a TV series very soon. Right now, I want you to welcome back our friend and the very funny Rick Roberts. All righty. Well, thanks, everybody, for being out here tonight. Uh, my name's Rick. I'm excited to be here. I drove in to town today back from Branson, Missouri. I love Branson, Missouri. If you don't know how far away that is from here, it's $456 general stores away. <laughs> Maybe 460 They probably built two more on the way back. Can we get a few more Dollar Generals? You can see a Dollar General store from the parking lot of another Dollar General store right now. <laughs> if I had a dollar for every Dollar General store I saw today, I'd have generally a lot of dollars, I tell you. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, tell you what, I've been wearing glasses recently. I had a little signs in my life telling me I needed to start wearing glasses. I didn't want to. Uh, First sign that popped up on me, I was about 30 minutes into a ZZ Top documentary one night, and it turned out to be Duck Dynasty. Yeah. Like, even the drummer let himself go, apparently. And then when I got my glasses, the night before, there was the worst thing. I, I'd pulled into a drive-thru, and I couldn't read what they had this, on the screen, so I, I just ordered what I thought they had, you know, just ballparked it. I'm like, I'll take a cheeseburger, some onion rings, and a Coke. It's like, sir, we can't do that here. This is Bank of America. I'm like, oh. I want to see those onion rings go through that tube. <laughs> now, I love eating. I wish, I'll tell you what I wish is that Cracker Barrel had a drive-thru. Wouldn't that be nice? I love Cracker Barrel, man. Almost died one time at a Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And after everything worked out, I thought, man, this would be a great place to have your funeral reception at, right? <laughs> they got rocking chairs out front for people to sit in and talk about you. And you can buy a gift for the widow there in the shop on the way out, you know? But what happened to me, I'm sitting there and the tornado siren went off and I started looking around for a safe place to hide. Can you pick a more unsafe place to be in a twister than a Cracker Barrel? You ever look at the walls and ceilings? They got hoes, pitchforks, antlers. Like... Golf tees are flying at you 90 miles an hour. It's like a hillbilly matrix. Like, I was slipping on cherry cobbler for a half an hour trying to get out. But yeah, I've had a lot of driving here recently. I tell you what, I've got a teenage boy, and when he turned 16, I could not get him behind the wheel. It was amazing. 
Like, I said, you want to get your driver's license? He's like, I don't think I want to drive. And none of my friends want to learn how to drive either. It's a thing, y'all. And then I did some digging into it and some research and realized what was going on. They were all afraid they were going to have a head-on collision with a job or an occupation. (laughs) (laughs) You might get sideswiped by a paycheck at a four-way stop if you're not careful. (laughs) So I told my son, you need to get a car and get a job this summer. You know, he's 17 now. He said, "Uh, where should I work at? I'm like, man, if nothing else, McDonald's is always hiring. Go down there and work for them. And he looked right back at me and goes, Papa, the Bible clearly says, do not work for the food that spoils, but instead work for the food that nourishes eternally. I'm like, that's a good word, buddy, but I've seen some documentaries on that McDonald's food. It does not spoil. (laughs) It's going to outlive all of us, so go down there and get you a McJob, all right? But I was still driving him around when his buddies were 16 to birthday parties. Like, like, can you take us downtown Nashville? We're going to go rock climbing. I'm like, can't you go find a rock somewhere else we don't have to pay to climb on? You know, I had four teenage boys in the back of my car. Man, never heard so many voices cracking in my entire life. It sounded like I was hauling donkeys down the interstate. They're like, is that a honky-tonk? Track a window back there, Eeyore. Get some D.O. for the B.O., fellas. It's like I was driving a puberty Uber, you know? (laughs) But. (laughs) Thank you. But I love my son. He's a good kid. I give all the credit to my wife. Been married for just over 20 years. And uh, I love my wife, but she does this one little thing, man. She pretends things never happened if I catch her doing something she shouldn't have done. Like a child, you know? The other day, I made a cup of coffee, and it was a little bit hot, so I put it on the counter and went out to get the mail, talked to my neighbor, came back in, and I see her finishing off my coffee and putting the mug in the dishwasher. I said, did you just drink my cup of coffee? She's like, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, and she runs out of the room. <laughs> like, it's just, just me and you here. I'm pretty sure you did it. <laughs> so I was trying to find a way to get her back. So later on that afternoon, she was folding towels from the dryer. They're nice and hot. She's squaring them up. When she wasn't looking, I took all them towels and threw them back in the dryer. I'm I'm lucky I'm standing and breathing. I understand, ladies. I'm lucky I'm standing and breathing. I cranked that sucker back up on high. About five minutes later, she walked by the laundry room. She's like, what? I thought I folded all them towels. I'm like, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. (laughs) I ran upstairs to take a shower and locked the door behind me, and she's flushing the toilet trying to scald me like, I'm like, did you just flush the toilet? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I get out of the shower and reach over for my towel, and it's not there because I threw them all back in the dryer when I was downstairs. But she's good. I got a 10-year-old daughter, and uh, she's smart, she's honest, but she doesn't know when to say things and when to keep them to herself. We're at the store the other day, and we're waiting in line, and the lady in front of us is with her daughter, and they're buying some stuff, and uh, I'm just looking at my kid, but my kid is staring at this lady, so I look over. And the woman's wearing a pair of them uh, Spanx. Y'all know Spanx? Now, I think they're supposed to be underwear, right? But they're everywhere on this lady. They're just <laughs> out there. And, I mean, I don't want to look, but them Spanx, are, I mean, they were working hard. They were working hard. I mean, like trying to get the Thanksgiving turkey back into plastic. You know, like, get in there, buddy. And so I'm not trying to look, but my daughter goes, Papa, is she wearing her pajamas to the store? I'm like, honey, those aren't pajamas. They're called Spanx. 
and louder than she's ever said anything in her life. She's like, Spanks, that's a full-blown whooping right there. <laughs> hey, y'all been a whole lot of fun. Thanks for putting up with me. I appreciate you. You are on tonight, man. Hey, buddy. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm excited about this new Mayberry Man series. You know, if people have not heard all of your comedy, which is just extraordinary, one of the things we love around here is when you do the character Barney Fife. Oh, uh, a little... <laughs> well, you know, if you got it, you got it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Now you know why we love Rick Roberts so much, and you will love him, too. I hope you invite him to your community for an event. He'll have you laughing just like he has this crowd here tonight and me cracking up over there. If you want to keep up with Rick, head over to Huckabee.tv. Follow the links on our website. Keith, I don't think you can top that great act, but I've got to throw it over there to you one way or the other. I don't think I can, but coming up next, former Trump staffer Cash Patel visits Mike at the desk. Then later, CMA award-winning country star Mark Rolls hits the stage. Well, time after time, Samaritan's Purse is on the ground spreading the hope of the gospel all across the world. Now, despite so many tragedies going on in our world today, we can know that God is using the incredible volunteers at Samaritan's Purse to remind people they're not forgotten. Help them in that mission and consider giving to Samaritan's Purse today by going to their website or calling the number on your screen. I was driving around through Little Rock just yesterday I saw two Samaritan's Purse trucks helping the people who have been hit by the horrible tornadoes that happened there just a few weeks ago. They're still on the job. They're helping people. You know how they can do that? Because you helped them. So thanks for your generous support, and God bless. Cash Patel, yeah, give Samaritan's Purse a great hand. They are doing wonderful work. Cash Patel spent four years in Donald Trump's administration as deputy assistant to the president and is Senior Director for Counterterrorism on the National Security Council. Now, that's a mouthful to say, but that's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. He went on to serve as Principal Deputy to the Acting Director of National Intelligence. That's where he oversaw the operations of all 17 intelligence agencies and provided the President's daily briefing. He now wants to pull back the curtain on the deep state who continue to secretly pull the levers of power without any accountability to those of us who are out here as the American people. Please welcome to the show, Cash Patel. Good to have you here, Cash. Thank you. You know, we hear, we hear the term deep state. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know what that means. So tell us, what is the deep state and why should we be worried about what's happened to this country. Well, first of all, Governor, thanks so much for having me in the great state of Tennessee, and this is quite an amazing set. So, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Your staff are wonderful. Yeah. I wish we weren't talking about the deep state, because then it wouldn't be a problem we had to address. It used to be a right-wing conspiracy yes. saying such a verboten statement such as the deep state. But what it is, it's, it's people in government 
who embed themselves in senior level positions and then they contradict the will and authority of the commander in chief, a duly elected president. We've seen that at our FBI and DOJ and DOD, et cetera. But here's the thing, the deep state cannot survive without their conspirators in the mainstream media. Mm. When they come together, you see what they did in Russiagate. You see what they did in January 6th, their Ukraine impeachment or the classified documents cases and, and so many other examples. But it is frightening to think that the people, we pay their salaries. We These do. are taxpayer funded people. Yep. And a lot of them have the attitude. I've heard people say that they would literally look at the uh, elected officials and say, we were here when you came. We'll be here when you leave. We're not changing anything. And they actually have that arrogant attitude about their jobs. And it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's tragic because it is a violation of the oath of office, the oath that you, you have taken and so many Americans take every day to serve this country. And when you have military leadership or law enforcement leadership, and I've been in the rooms to literally hear them say just that, and I said, what happened to the chain of command? Are we making exceptions because you don't like the current commander-in-chief? That's not how yeah. our constitutional republic works. And so rooting out the deep state is something we must do as a nation. It cannot be done from inside Washington. It has to be done from without across the country. And how do we do that? I mean, what are, what are the steps? Because I think most of us who are tuned in right now to what you're saying oh. are going to say, yeah, we got to get rid of that. we got to change this. How? How do we do it? There's two big ways. One, you have to, of course, win an election where you install personnel across the bureaucracy, yeah. not just at the cabinet level, but every rung below that for 10 rungs down. That is someone who's going to follow the mission and the law of the commander in chief. Two, we have to go, before we get there, we have to go out and educate America. Remember, half of America still thinks Donald Trump's a Russian asset because most of the media spent yeah. five years lying about it. And yeah. I just use that one example because it's the one that sticks. But if you're able to break through America, get them to turn off mainstream media and turn on great shows like yours, they're going to get the truth and say, okay, I was lied to back then. Now they're telling me where the China COVID virus actually came from. Hmm. Maybe I should listen to them this time. Uh, I think it's a good idea to listen to our show, apparently, than <laughs> some of these other ones. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, Recently, we had a very embarrassing situation where a 21-year-old National Guard yeah. uh, airman apparently had access to incredible, extraordinary secrets that, quite frankly, senior officials normally wouldn't have. And he was just on some international chat rooms and it ended up getting in the hands of both friends and foes all over the world. How does something so ridiculous happen? Um, look, as a former deputy director of national intelligence, I can tell you there are a lot of people in government who have that top secret clearance, but there are very few people who have what we call that need to know. Yeah. And this 21-year-old Air National Guardsman, we're not knocking his service, yeah. was an IT expert. He had no need to know the substantive material that we're talking about. And the reason that he couldn't have done it alone, Governor, is because if we believe the reporting, we are talking about operational troop movements in theaters of war where we have active engagements in the Ukraine and elsewhere, our troops, adversaries, and things like that. That is particularly curated for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to advise the president of the United States. There is a very small group of people who have that need to know and access. And this, this individual has been putting out this information for some six months that wow. we know about just now. Mm. So it's not like he went in there, stole a piece of paper off a desk and says, hey, check this out. It's a methodical scheme, something akin to Snowden and Assange. And I think we're going to see more and find out the extent of it as time goes on. But it is not good for national security. Well, it's frightening to me that, that he had access. It's even more frightening that he didn't have the integrity to keep it to himself, yeah. that he thought that he could share that with other people. 
Cash, you've got a book coming out called Government Gangsters. It's coming out in June. I, I'm, I love the title. Uh, I, I'm thinking maybe you gave away the, the plot in the title, but it's, it's pretty powerful. But, but give us a preview. Government Gangsters, who are they and uh, what are they doing to us? Sure. So in, in the book, which uh, hopefully comes out this summer, um, we name every single government gangster, the type of deep state people we talked about mm. um, just on, on the top of the show here, by name and how they did it. But more importantly, we go through the government agency by agency, department by department, say this is how we fix it using the executive branch, levers in Congress, constitutional oversight. Donald Trump has dubbed the book the roadmap to the 2024 presidency. I was uh, humbled to get that. Um, and as you know, Governor, you have to actually submit your manuscript back to the government yes. when you write it. Well, they have suppressed my manuscript for five months. So I'm taking them to federal court this week and we're gonna get that book out, but you can get your piece up. You know, I, I find that outrageous. Here you are, you are taking the steps to allow them to see so that you're not leaking any information. And a 21-year-old airman kid <laughs> is just throwing out all kinds of stuff. And, you know, that, that just makes no sense to me. Well, we play by the rules, Governor. That's, well, that's the difference. I'm glad you do. And I hope that you have an opportunity to serve this country again in an intelligence capacity. We need people of integrity and uh, high academic uh, credentials that you have to be back in power and to, uh, to lead us out of this uh, incredible deep state nightmare uh, th that is just destroying this country from the inside out. So please come back when the book is out. Let's talk about it. And you can name the names right here on this show. I How will indeed, Governor. Thank you so much. Well, if you would like more information and links to Cash Patel, head over to our website at Huckabee.tv and we will connect you. And I have a feeling you'll be able to pre-order the book and have it on your doorstep the day it comes out. Speaking of being on the doorstep, Keith's over on his own little doorstep over there. So Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us what's around the bend. Well, coming up next, gardening expert Jamie Yost tests Mike's green thumb. And still to come, country favorite Mark Wells joins us. Stick around for more Huckabee. Welcome back. Hey, look around. Spring has sprung, and a lot of us are ready to get outside and start enjoying the backyard again. So to tell us how to turn our patio into a private sanctuary, an oasis from the madness of the world. Here from JVI Secret Gardens in Nashville, we are happy to welcome gardening expert Jamie Yost. Jamie, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank for you coming. so much for having me. Now, you know what? I'm looking at all this dirt. My yeah. dogs, they like to eat this kind of dirt, and I don't know why. What that is it about? That means it's good. That means the dirt is good. If your dogs are eating it, that means you've got the good stuff. We got some great dirt at yes, my house. Yes, that's exactly okay. what you, that you're, you're starting off well. You're starting off well. All right, I know nothing about plants. I only know that I like fresh tomatoes. So beyond that, teach me something tonight. You know what? It is okay because I know nothing about being a governor. So we're here to learn from each other. It is completely okay. There were a lot of people in my state that didn't think I knew anything about it either. So that's very well. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to start off. I'm going to, I got you a pair of gloves. Oh, okay. There you Thank go. Thank you. 
Um, I'm gonna put mine on as well. All right. So what I'm doing is we are gonna do a um, kind of a basic recipe slash formula okay. on how to create a really pretty mixed planter. And if you use this as kind of a guide formula when you go into your local garden center and if you have a couple answers to some questions, you'll be able to create a nice little pot like this and you can put it on your patio and you'll be all set for the rest of the season. Okay. All right, you ready? Ready. I feel okay. so official. I mean. So a professional. Step one, step one of being a gardener, get the good gloves. There you go. Okay, so what we're gonna do today is the recipe I mentioned is called Spiller Filler Thriller. And it's kind of a formula, like okay. I said. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off with the thriller. Okay. And the thriller is, for me, I've chosen this salvia. For you, I've chosen this mulla mulla. Whoa, 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 whoa. A mulla mulla? Mulla mulla. Mulla mulla. Mulla mulla. And it's got these really pretty soft lavender flowers that kind of remind you of a thistle without the thorns. Okay. Um, but you can see it's kind of tall, kind of pretty, and uh -huh. we're gonna put those kind of in the back. Should we take this out? Yep, take that out. Just pull it out. Just pull it right out. All right, it all came. How about and that? And pop that in the very back of your bowl because that's okay. going to be your height. You're going to have several different layers, but this okay. is going to be your tall height in the all back right. of the bowl. Got it. And then you're going to have what we call the filler. And okay. don't let the word filler throw you off. These are the most some, some of the most important flowers in the bowl. Hmm. So what I've got here is I've got some vinca and some sun coleus. And for you, I've got these pretty begonias and these lantana. There's the name ruby begonias. Ruby begonias. And these uh, these flowers are actually going to be great for pollinators. So if you're looking for hummingbirds, these red and the yellow lantana are going to be great for hummingbirds and uh, butterflies as Let's well. Let's them in there? Yeah. Okay. And they're going to kind of go in the middle. So these are kind of your mid-level plants. They're not mm -hmm. super tall. They're not super low. They're going to fill it out and flesh out your pot. Now, what else am I putting in there? These yellow things? Yellow things. What are they called? That's the lantana. 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 Ah. So pop all of those I'm in there. so much. And you just kind of squish them in together. You don't have to worry about getting them too tight because okay. what they're going to do is they're going to start to fill out over the season. And by the end of the summer, you're going to have this bright, giant, big bouquet of flowers. A little flower here is dying. There you go. Okay, okay now okay. what do I do? And then finally, you're going to have what we call the spiller. spiller. So I'm going to add the coleus. And the spiller. All this stuff over here? Yeah, just throw it all in there. Cram okay. it in. Let her rip. And then one more lantana right there. Let her rip. Yeah. Now, Keith, you're not supposed to eat these. There you go. <laughs> you can eat anything if you're brave enough. I guess um, so. And then finally, we've got what we call our spiller. Now, this is called Lobularia, and this is a little white flower that's kind of akin to baby's breath. But what it's going to do is it's going to start to spill over. So now you've got your height up here, you've got your filler down here, and then uh -huh. you've got this spilling over. So this is great if you've got one of those patio, um, if you've got one of the balcony things that yeah, you're hanging uh -huh. over your railing. Right. Or if you've got a plant stand and you've got your pot over in the corner. You just crammed all that stuff in just there? Just cram it all in there. And I'm going to use Creeping Jenny, which is a very common... Spiller. What you call that? Creeping Jenny. Creeping Jenny. I, Creeping I dated Jenny. her in high school. I know her. Now. <laughs> know her. She's... The fancy name is Liz Machia, but we're going with Creeping Jenny. So which one am I sticking in there? Okay, so you already have the. Um, oh, I've already the, got yeah. that. Yep. And oh. so that is the formula right there. That's it. Yeah. And like you mentioned, um, the soil in your yard, your dogs like to eat it. They probably yeah. have, it probably has something like bone meal in it and that gives nutrients to the plants. Yeah. Um, and you get that by getting a good potting soil. Huh. So as long as you have a nice bag of potting soil from your local garden center. Yeah. I know a couple if you're looking for one. Um, and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna finish off this pot okay. with this dirt right here. I gotta it's buy some cheaper dirt that they won't eat. I think that's what I need. <laughs> 
So we're just going to put that in there. So then what you do is once you get all your plants kind of positioned, uh -huh. you'll just finish it off with a bit of topsoil and kind of make it all nice and even. And then you'll finish it off by giving it a good watering. Wow, I need to take this out, don't yeah, I? Yeah, take that yeah. out. I thought I that'd be really a heck good. of an ice cream screen right there. <laughs> this is, that mean, audience, don't you think I did a pretty good job here? Yeah. Wow. I'm very impressed. Jenny, thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having now, me. Now, next time you're going to come back and you're going to plant, we're going to do tomatoes and you're going to teach me how to make those. Yeah, and okay? after that, we'll have sandwiches. It'll be great. I love it. Yeah. I really do. Hey, if you're in the Nashville area, why don't you drop by and visit JVI Gardens? And if you're anywhere in the world, their website has some real helpful tips on everything from plants to koi ponds. That covers the spectrum. How do you find out? Go to Huckabee.tv. We've got the connections to Jamie and to the gardens. Right now, our own Mr. Green Jeans, Keith Bilbrey, is going to tell us what's coming up next. Well, thank you, Captain Kangaroo. Stay with us. Grand Ole Opry member Mark Will sings about the way things used to be. He's next on Huckabee. for popular talk show host Dr. Phil and stunt comedian Max Winfrey on Huckabee. And welcome back. Mark Wills has released seven hit albums and 19 Billboard charting singles, including eight top 10 country hits like 19-something and Jacob's Ladder. He's also entertained our troops on more than a dozen trips abroad. His classic 90s country music is being re-released in a new series called Collections. Would you please give a very big welcome for the first time on our show to Mark Wills. You know, I can't believe we're just now getting you on this show. It's about time. Well, it's, it's been one of those things where we've talked about it for years. And for whatever reason, you know, timing didn't work out or whatever. So thank you for having us. Well, I think a lot of it is uh, people want to hear you and you're on the road a lot. And we so uh, our production schedule and your tour schedule sometimes don't always mesh. I'm really thrilled that it worked out this week. Thanks for being Happy here. Happy to be here with you. I, you know, one of the things that we're going to get into all the music, but you love to hunt like I do. I do. I do. My my youngest daughter uh, has a rare digestive issue. Hmm. Uh, and so that's really what got me into the hunting world several really? years ago. Absolutely. She had a, she was very sick as a little girl. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they found out that wild game had no fat in the, in the protein. Yeah. And so that's what I, I started taking her hunting when she was like 10 years old. She's 20 now. 
almost six foot two, so there has to be something to it. <laughs> Must be something to it. Because at 5'10", you know, and I'm looking up at her going, I don't know, little girl, you know, so she's, uh, but yeah, she's, she's my hunter. I'm a big believer. I mean, we eat venison almost exclusively yeah. at our house, uh, wild turkey and duck mm -hmm. and all sorts of stuff. I have an old philosophy that, you know, you don't, go hunting for things you don't plan to put on your table. I Amen. Think just Amen. The way it is. But but she's an elk hunter. She's a big game. Oh, hunter. she's a real deal. She loves to uh to go hunting. So so we uh we went this past uh you know elk season and we'll probably go this this next elk season. So you know, you have done a lot of things, particularly with veterans, and I know that's near and dear to your heart. Yes, sir. Many times overseas to entertain. Yeah. Do you do you feel that connection when you get in front of those troops that they really appreciate somebody coming all the way halfway around the world. We have absolutely loved that. So my dad's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he was in Vietnam in 69 and 70. He was with the 101st Airborne. Wow. And he had always talked about how the, the one opportunity that he had to see Bob Hope, he missed it because he decided <laughs> to go spend Christmas with my mom in Hawaii. Uh, in, in 69. Probably a good call. It was good a good call. call. It was a good call. Part. No, honey, I'm not going to be there for Christmas. I'm going to be with Bob Hope. <laughs> right. I think that's probably exactly. the call. But, but so that was something that for me, when, when my dad would tell that story, um, I always thought if I ever had the opportunity to go, uh, you know, entertain our troops, wherever that might have been, yeah. uh, that I would do it. And so uh, back in back in 03, uh, the, the, the end of 03, beginning of 04, uh, I got asked to go with the sergeant major of the army at the time, uh, and we did we did about twelve or thirteen trips, Christmas Christmas time trips, right? Uh, every year to go perform for our men and women in Iraq and Afghanistan and Kuwait and Uzbekistan and different places like that. The new album that uh, is out there, yeah, give him a hand because you know what to be away from his family at Christmas to it was, entertain our troops. It was something well, that I loved. I mean, I have some of my some of my best memories of performances were. And not even really the big shows. They were the little cops and the little fobs where you were playing yeah. for 10 or 12 guys, you know, taking requests. And, and that, was, uh, that was a lot of fun. This album that you have, uh, I hope it's a big success. It's a collection of a lot of the hits you've had. It's a, it's a collection. What we did was, you know, so, so often back in the old days when, you know, when you would put out a 10 or 12 song CD and you would have two or three hits off of that CD, there was eight or ten songs that nobody ever got to hear on the radio. Yeah. And so we started talking with, you know, with some of our partners about going back and finding some of those songs that I felt like were great songs that really never got heard. So that's where the collections idea came from was to go back, you know, how, how I look like a baby in all of those right there. <laughs> but, but go back and, and find some of those songs, you know, that I felt like were great tunes that that, you know, we might have been able to play in the show, but, you know, but we might not have been able to and just sort of get those back out there to sort of get people reengaged with uh, with my music career. You got a lot of fans. I hope they all get the uh, the album. And frankly, I hope you get a lot of new fans that will become big Mark Wills fans, as we all are here on this show. Well, thank you. Mark, we're going to let you go play some music because I think that's okay. kind of the main reason. I'd love to. So right now, while Mark Wills is getting ready to perform, Keith Delbury is going to tell us where you can find all the music of Mark Wills. Keith? Head over to Huckabee.tv for all of Mark's music and social media sites. And don't forget to pick up tickets to his fan club party at the Grand Ole Opry on June 9th. Now, performing his classic song, Looking for America, make welcome Mark Wills. Here he is.
the way things used to be Kids playing underneath an old street light Going they were safe and they lay down at night Looking for something I ain't seen in a while I'm looking for a factory Where a man can feed his family Not worried about them moving it south Closing the doors and shutting it down to wave the red white and blue still believe freedom isn't free and i guess it's up to you and me to find it 